doesn't make me feel young. What do we got there? Not a countdown. Tell me when to shut up. <laughs> what is it? Oh, you're recording me. So, I know what that's for. He's just going to delete it when he's, when he's done. That's just a... So Elijah, I want to talk about Elijah, but before I get into the part of Elijah that I want to get into, I want to uh, go back a little bit and talk about some of the things that Elijah experienced. And in 1 Kings 16, it says about Ahab, Ahab did more to arouse the anger of God than any other king before him. Mm, That ain't good. That is not good. I would not want to be described as that guy. I'm like, and, and the thing is, you got to understand too, the, the, the kings of Israel and Judah, they were terrible. They were like all terrible, except for every now and then we'd be like, this guy was good. This guy was good. And then they'd relate him back to David, quite honest, uh, quite, to, to compare. And, but Ahab, man, it, the, this guy takes the crown of hatred from God. I'm, I don't want to be that guy. And so Elijah is about to deal with King Ahab and, and try to bring him and the people back to God. And so we get into chapter 17 and Elijah calls for a drought. All right, he calls for a drought and it happens. God says, declare a drought to happen. It happens. And, and so he sees this miracle of God, not the kind of miracle I want to do someday. I'm like, God, if you want me to do a miracle, let's not let it be a drought. Okay. Nobody is going to like me for that miracle. And so God tells him to go to a certain place where, where the, where the, the stream is. And he says, you can drink the water from the stream during the time of this drought. He says, also, I will have ravens bring you food and they will feed you and you will have food by what they bring to you. He goes there and it happens. Another miracle that Elijah got to see. So the brook dries up and God gives him direction. Go to a certain town, go find this certain lady. And when you find this certain lady, tell her, feed me. I I would like to eat. And so he goes to this certain town. He runs into this lady and his lady's gathering sticks and he's like, Hey, feed me. And she's like, seriously? Are you kidding? Do you realize I am gathering sticks because I have this much flour left in my house and I'm going to use this to make a fire. My son and I are going to eat this and this will be our last meal. Then we're just going to wait to die. And you're asking me to feed you. But she was obedient And he went to live with her. And out of this little bit of flour, it just kept staying there. And she would bake and it would stay there. And and I don't know what their period of time was, but it was some period of time that Elijah was with this lady and kept eating off of this little bit of flour. Well, then the son dies of this widow and she's all ticked off. and, And she's like, why would you come here? Why would you allow my son to die? And he's like... We got this. And he brings the guy back to life. So he's seeing all these incredible miracles, all these incredible miracles. And and, and it's going to take us into yet maybe the biggest miracle that he was a part of. And uh, so in chapter 18, we meet Jezebel. We meet Jezebel, the worst of the worst most evil queen that ever existed. This lady was a miserable human being. Her, her whole plot in life at that time was she wanted to hunt down the prophets of God and kill them. That was her endeavor in life at this point in her life, was to kill all the prophets of God, the prophets of Israel and Judah. And she was the queen, the wife of King Ahab. She also hated Elijah. So now we're going to fast forward to when Elijah meets with King Ahab. 
Chapter 18, verse 17, when Ahab saw Elijah, he said to him, is that you, you troubler of Israel? He's not a big fan, not a big fan. Uh, Actually, there are some quite bold statements that come out of King Ahab. He's thinking he's a little bit more than what he really is because you don't talk to prophets like that. Because when a prophet showed up to talk to you, it often meant bad news coming from God. And you were like, please go somewhere else. But here he is. And, And so Elijah's like, I have not made trouble for Israel, but you and your father's family have. You have abandoned the Lord's commands and followed the Baals. Now summon the people from all over Israel to meet me on Mount Carmel and bring the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. So here we see a bold Elijah. We see Elijah in one of his boldest times. And he's like, you know what? It is time. It is time for you to come around. It's time for the people to come around and believe in the God of Israel who brought you all out of Egypt. It is time to get back to him. And today we're going to have a showdown. Bring them all out. Bring out all these prophets of your gods that you dearly love. The people of Israel love uh, Baal and Asherah because, well, it was a very perverted religion and it gave them the green light to do things that God commands against. So we got the greatest showdown that's about to happen. We, We see David and Goliath, right? And we think, oh, that's an awesome showdown, little David, which by the way, he wasn't like a 12 year old from what I've studied. He, he was already doing some fighting and stuff, but, but he wasn't any big. All right. And that's not, it's not part of my lesson. Um, I don't know why. I don't know why I went there, but, but we see that as a great showdown. That is nothing compared to what Elijah is about to do in front of all these peoples. And it's a, it's an 850 versus one plus the king and the evil queen, plus the whole nation of Israel, because they all loved Asherah and Baal. Verse 20. So Ahab sent word throughout Israel and assembled the prophets on Mount Carmel. Elijah went before the people and said, how long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. But the people said nothing. Then Elijah said to them, I am the only one of the Lord's prophets left, but Baal has 450 prophets. Get two bulls for us. Let Baal's prophets choose one for themselves and let them cut it into pieces and put it on the wood, but not set fire to it. And I'll do the same thing to my bull. And so here it is. The ground rules are being set. Whose God is the God? Is the God. And so, so we've got this thing about to go down. And, and so it's like, okay, here we go. You got your bull. I've got my bull. Everybody's got the wood. Everybody's got stone. You guys are go first. You guys go first. You don't get a match though. You don't get a lighter. You don't get anything. You call it down from heaven because if your God is the God of heaven, if Baal is that God, fire is going to rain down. It's going to burn up that bull so that it starts. And, and these men, these, these prophets of Baal, they're, they're all dancing around and, and they're shouting to Baal and, and they're trying to get Baal's attention to rain down fire and burn this thing up. And, and, and then we get to my favorite part. All right, picture me as an 11-year-old kid, all right? I'm sitting in Sunday school, and I'm probably somewhere around that age, and I'm learning about this whole thing of, of Elijah and this challenge. And, and Elijah's sitting there. He's sitting off to the side. I picture him just kind of like kicked back, and he's watching this go down, and he, these guys are just crying out to their God. And verse 27 says, At noon, Elijah began to taunt them. Oh, that is awesome. That is so, I, I don't know if this taunting was of God. I don't know if God was like, hey, I'm going to put these words in your mouth. Start taunting them. 
But I come from a family of five guys, and so harassment is big, sarcasm is big, and, and I'm like, this is so cool. So he starts trash-talking these guys. He says, surely he is a god. Perhaps he's deep in thought, or busy, or traveling. Maybe he's sleeping and must be awakened. And so, so he's harassing these guys, saying, you know, maybe, maybe he's just not loud enough. Maybe you got to wake him up from his nap. But then, then my teacher, okay, I'm still 11 years old, all right? I, I, I believe that's when I learned this. The teacher's like, well, you know what? That, that actually translates differently in other translations. And it, it says, cry aloud, for he is God. Either he is musing, whatever that means, or he is relieving himself. <laughs> I'm like, what? Okay, first of all, at 11 years old, I'm kind of like, I wouldn't know what that meant. I'd have been like, oh, we're henches, we don't. So, so, so then I look in this other translation, it says, pray louder. He said, Baal must be a god. Maybe he's daydreaming or using the toilet. This is priceless to an 11 year old. It's like, hey guys, your God's not hearing you because he's pooping. All right? <laughs> I'm like, this is priceless. Like I said, I don't know if these words were from God to him or if this was kind of the flesh speaking out in the moment. I don't know, but I just, I love that. I love that. That, But here's the thing, all right? Don't get all wound up on that because that's not the real takeaway here, okay? This is not what I want you to learn, okay? I do not want them to learn that, man, okay? (laughs) And now, now as an adult male, one of the still the hench brothers who majored in sarcasm. If it would have been a class, I actually would have made the honor roll for a change. And, um, but we see, we see this trash talking holy man of Elijah with so much confidence telling them to pray to their God. So what do they do? What do these guys do? They, they bring it up a notch. They bring it up a notch. They start, they, they're, they're louder. They, they start taking swords and they're beating themselves with it. And they take spears and they're making themselves just start to bleed. I don't, I don't know if you've ever looked up on YouTube. I, I would say go for it if you don't mind seeing some blood. But, but these Shiite Muslims do this thing where they take whips and they sit there and they just beat themselves over and over and over till their backs are just bleeding like crazy. And that's what these guys are doing, crying out out to their God saying, bring down fire all afternoon. They're going through this and nothing, absolutely nothing. Then Elijah said to all the people, come here to me. They came to him and he, he repaired the altar of the Lord, which had been torn down. Elijah took 12 stones, one for each of the tribes descended from Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord had come, saying, Your name shall be Israel. With the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord, and he dug a trench around it, large enough to hold two seas of seed. He arranged the wood, cut the bull into pieces, and laid it on the wood. All right, so the preparations are made. The the prophets of Baal did their thing. They failed. It didn't happen. All they can hope for is the fact that maybe Elijah's God is going to fail as well because they are indeed failures. It didn't happen. And so Elijah gets everything put together. And then he's like, all right, hold out, time out. Bring in some water. Bring in some water. He says, fill four large jars of water and pour it on the bull. Soak it. They said, now do it again. And he says, now do it again. And so he soaks this thing down and to the point where the, the ditch that was around it filled up with water too. And, uh, and, and this is God's instruction for him. Because let's be honest. If you were in this duo, if you were in this whole... You're not going to be like, yeah, let's make it harder. You know, there's failed. Let's just go with it the way it is. And let's just, but God's like, you know what? 
Let's, let's make a point today. Let's make a point that is strong and powerful. So they do this. So at, this is verse 36, at the time of sacrifice, the prophet Elijah stepped forward and prayed, Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and have done all these things at your command. Answer me, Lordy, answer me. So these people will know that you, Lord, are God and that you are turning their hearts back again. Then the fire of the Lord fell and burned up the sacrifice, the wood, the stones, and the soil, and also licked up the water in the trench. Do you see what just happened here? We've got this crazy. You know, I, I got to thinking, I got to thinking, you know, Jesus turned the water into wine, right? And I'm thinking, maybe in this miracle, God turned the, the water into gasoline. But then I think back to, to some different videos I've seen of what was it like when the people were coming out of Egypt and, and the pillar of fire directed them by night? And I see like this laser beam coming out of the sky. He, he didn't, God didn't need gasoline. He didn't need to turn the water into gasoline because this thing came down and it consumed the rocks. It burned up the dirt and the rocks and the bull and the wood. And, and then what gets me is that it went on to say and it licked up the water in the trench. So what? It burned up the rocks. Dude, it burned up the... Man, you're like the old people I preached this to this past Sunday morning. Dude, this is awesome. Are you not feeling this? It burned up the... We make campfires out of rocks, right? Because they don't burn up. I just see this laser beam coming down and just decimating this whole thing and making it into a hole in the ground. It was proved at that moment who was the God of Israel. And then it goes on from there. It goes on from there. When all the people saw this, they fell prostrate and cried, The Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God. Then Elijah commanded them, Seize the prophets of Baal. Don't let anyone get away. They seized them, and Elijah had them brought down to the Kishon Valley and slaughtered there. I don't know if he killed the prophets of Asherah too, but we do know that he killed the prophets of Baal. That was the 450 number. So here we got at least a 450 to 1 and Elijah just crushed them one with the fire coming down to two. Now they're dead. He's telling the people it's time to come back to God. It is time to stop following these false prophets. And Elijah said to Ahab, go eat and drink for there's the sound of heavy rain. So Ahab went off to eat and drink, but Elijah climbed to the top of Mount Carmel bent down to the ground and put his face between his knees. Meanwhile, the sky grew black with clouds. The wind rose. A heavy rain started falling. The rain comes down. Look at all these miracles. Look at all these miracles that Elijah has witnessed. Going back to, to predicting the, the drought, drinking from the brook, being fed by ravens, being fed by a little old lady who only had this much flower left, raising a boy from the dead, defeating 850 prophets by I think a laser beam coming out of the sky and frying rocks. That is pretty stinking ripping right there, let me tell you. Amen. He has seen all this. This is all just my introduction, people. I'm not even into my message yet. 9.30, right? Right? 9, 9.30, Matt? Yeah. So, so the story continues. The story continues. You know, and if I were the author of this story, if I were the to-be-continued guy, 
and I got to write that part, I, it would be, you, you remember the guy, you remember the guy that um, he lived in the tombs? He was possessed by like a thousand demons. Legion was their name. This guy lived among the tombs. He, he lived there naked and chained up. And he would bust up these chains and everybody, nobody wanted to go near this guy. He was a freak of nature. Actually, he was a freak of the supernatural is what he was with demonic forces holding him down. But, but what happened? What happened to him? Jesus came directly. He came. He's like, hey, we're going to do a youth trip. Guys, everybody in the youth boat, we're going across the lake. We're going to heal this crazy naked guy. What do you think the mom said of those boys? My son ain't going on that. I am not signing that waiver. That's where they went. That was the purpose they went for, to heal this guy. What did this guy do after, after Jesus healed him? Well, first of all, he said, let me go with you. I want to be one of your students. And Jesus like, no, no, not for you. He says, here, what I, what I want you to do. He lived in this area where there were 10 cities. He said, I want you to go around the 10 cities and I want you to tell your story. And that's what this guy did. And it set up for Jesus' ministry sometime later to come in and have amazing things happen in those 10 cities. But whenever I think of the to be continued of, of Elijah, that's what I think ought to happen. I'm thinking Jesus, or that, that uh, Elijah ought to go on tour and be like setting up his little soapbox, say people come to me, I got stories to tell you that are amazing. Let me tell you how ravens brought me food. Let me tell you about these 850. Let me tell you how this laser beam came out of the sky and burned up the rocks. And again, it licked up the water, too. You all better get a little more excited about these rocks for me. Come on. Are you kidding me? So we've got, we've got this incredible to be continued but the problem is, I'm not the one writing this story. I'm not to be the, the, the to be continued guy. God's got the story. Elijah has got the story. And it doesn't go where I expect it to go. Now Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. We don't know. It doesn't say the attitude of, of, Eli, uh, of Ahab when he tells his wife, but I'm thinking he's saying, you know what? Listen, honey, we've got to get with the program because God, the true God, is Elijah's God. It's not Baal and Asherah. I think his attitude had to be that after what he just witnessed. But apparently Jezebel didn't see this whole thing go down and she doesn't really care. So Jezebel sent a message. This is verse, verse two in I think chapter 19, if I got this all right. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah and said, May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely. If by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like one of them, I'm going to kill you. Plain and simple, I'm going to kill you. My to be continued, my to be continued has Elijah there like, you know, kind of like giving, him, giving her one of these like, So? You ain't got nothing on me. How can I be afraid of you after what I just saw? But that's my to be continued. That is not what's going to happen. 19 verse 3. Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. The man just defeated 850 prophets of Baal and saw incredible miracles. And now there's one woman that wants him dead. One. One Jezebel. And he is scared out of his mind so bad that he runs away. When he came to Beersheba and Judah, he left his servant there while he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. He came to a broom bush, sat down under, and prayed that he might die. 
I've had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. That is a messed up to be continued after everything he's just seen. This makes no sense in my book, but this is where he is. This is where he is. He is at the point where he just wants to die. He no longer wants to exist. And he's afraid of one woman after what he just went through. So we see from there, he runs away from that point by himself for 40 days, 40 nights. He takes off and he ends up in a cave. He is hiding out in a cave. He's there. He's depressed. He needs help. He doesn't want help. He doesn't want relief from his depression. He wants to die. That's what he wants. And the word of the Lord came to him and says, what are you doing here, Elijah? And then we see Elijah's answer. He said, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left, and now they are trying to kill me too. This is not the first time you're going to hear that. You ever have to apologize to somebody? You ever, you ever have one of those things where you did somebody wrong, and it's kind of like, man, I've got to go apologize to that person. And, and I've been in this position. And so I'm, I'm in this position, and like the whole time, my apologies is ticking through my head like a hundred times. And it's really annoying. I can't get it out of there. And I'm thinking, for 40 days, for 40 days, I'm thinking Elijah has this. Oh, I've been very zealous for the Lord. God, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking he's got this speech memorized. And then finally, God asks him the question, what are you doing here, Elijah? And he unleashes. He unleashes what's just been rattling through his head for the last 40 days. Kind of reminds me of the prodigal son. Remember the prodigal son ran away, spent all the money that he had partying and all that stuff. And he runs out of money. And he thinks the only thing left to do is go back to dad. Daddy can at least hire him to be one of his servants. And he's like, I've sinned against heaven and I've sinned against you. And I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Please hire me. And, and, and that probably ticked through that kid's mind the whole way home. And that's how I see this going down with Elijah possibly. We see a man that is so messed up and so afraid after all he witnessed, and now he's afraid of one woman. He's afraid. He thinks if he's got to go through the rest of his life watching over his shoulder, wondering who's going to like shank him in the back or something. I got that from when I was in prison. Um, yeah, I never got shanked. It was good. And then God calls him out of the cave. But before he can get out of the cave, it says, Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord. What do we want? When you are Elijah in this place, when you're Elijah in this cave, what do you want? You want the big miracle, don't you? Dude, you want God to bring this big sign. You want, you want God to show up in this huge way so that you're like, you're like, dude, God showed up, man. Man, I was on my lowest of low times, and I needed God to show up, and he showed up in an amazing way. And so here's Elijah. I'm thinking Elijah would like to have the big sign. So here's the big wind, the tornado or hurricane-like winds, and it just rips the landscape apart. But there's a problem because it goes on to say that God was not in the wind. Hmm. Did Elijah know this? I don't know. I don't know. But 
but the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake. Oh man, here's another big one. Here's another big one. Man, God's not giving me one big sign. He's giving me two big signs. And, and we're thinking, all right, all the devastation happened to the wind. Now the, the earthquake, if you've seen pictures after an earthquake, it's devastating. What I've seen in Haiti is just crazy. And, but it says after, but it says that, that the Lord was not in the earthquake. I don't know if Elijah knew that or not. And it says after the earthquake came a fire. And anything that the first two things didn't destroy. Fire is going to destroy everything. Fire is going to just make it a, a landscape of nothing but charred black coal like stuff. What do we want? We want the big thing. We want the big, we want God to show up in a big way. And, and I'm thinking, whoa, this just, just came in threes. Oh, three is of God, right? These th- But it says that the Lord was not in the earthquake, and he wasn't in the fire, and he wasn't in the wind. And then it says, after the fire came a gentle whisper. Hmm. That ain't how we want God showing up. We don't want God showing up in a whisper. We want him showing up in the big things. But here it is. There's a whisper, and God is in the whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. Then a voice said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? And he replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with a sword. I am the only one left, and now they were trying to kill me too. There it is again, his rehearsed line. What are you doing here, Elijah? And what was God's response what was God's response in his time? I don't think that Elijah wanted a response. I think he just wanted to be dead. I think he just wanted to go home and live in heaven. But, but God says to him, he says, go back. Go back from where you came. I have a plan. And he told him, he said, I got people I'm going to put place in rulership. I got men that I'm going to put in place. He said, I've got 7,000 people who have not bowed a knee to Baal or Asherah. You're not the only one. You thought you were the only one. Your vision is skewed. You don't see right. I've got a plan. Go back, Elijah. Go back. Have you been there? Have you been in that cave? Because chances are, there are some in this room that have been in that cave, that have been that low, have been that hurt, that just says, you know what, God? I just want to die. I just want to cease to exist. There's some of you that are in that right now, maybe. There's some of you that are going through that. And right now, your generation and mental health issues is just through the roof. It's crazy. It is absolutely insane what your generation is going through And if you're not one of the first two people, the day might come. It could be triggered by the death of a loved one or a disease or something like that. That you get to the point where you're like, just take me home. But you know what you got through this stuff? You know what you got when you become the Elijah that comes out of that cave and goes back? You got a story. That's what you've got. You've got a story. You've got something now that you can relate to other people that are going through hardships, that are going through terrible, difficult times. And we're called to use those. We are called to use those. I had a lady 
I had a lady come into my youth group. Lady's about 70 years old. And she comes in and, and she starts sharing with my youth kids about how she was uh, sexually molested as a child. She, she didn't go into as much detail with them as, as what her life was. But the word I had heard sometime before was that she was basically a sex slave at a very young age to a family member or somebody close to the family. Here's a lady that shared with the kids that when, when, she, when her parents went through the divorce, I think it was her that was sharing this part about it, saying, I, I thought it was my fault. I thought, couldn't I have been a better kid? Maybe I should have been more well-behaved. A seven or eight-year-old takes that pressure on themselves. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. For those of you who have been through that and you think it's your fault, you think some of that is your fault, my goodness, number one, it is not your fault. Number two, man, work your way through that. And number three, when you meet a kid whose parents just went through a divorce or something, you can be like, you know what, kid? This ain't your fault. This is not your fault. I've been there. You know what? I like when, I like when my, my, my one youth leader, John, when John shares with the kids and he says, you know what, when I, was in, when I was in college, I was an alcoholic. Man, I was partying every weekend, and, and I, I was trying to be the popular guy through drinking. You know what, I, I like to hear these stories. I like that John is sharing the story in my youth group. You know why? Because I got kids in my youth group that are so messed up. I got, I got kids that are gonna become a John in college, and they need to know that there's something better on the other side of those college weekends when they become an alcoholic, or maybe he's gonna stop them from his stories from becoming that weekend alcoholic. I'm happy when my youth leader, Melissa, shares her story. Melissa comes up here, in this room right here, to celebrate recovery. Melissa was one day away from homelessness. She stole drugs when she was a nurse, and she was taking them. She lost her job, not once, but twice. And the second time, she lost her, her license to practice as a nurse. And she just kind of like went through life until she was a day away from homelessness. You know what? I like Melissa sharing these stories because I got kids who someday that might be their story. Honey Punt just became one of my youth leaders. She used to go to church here. Honey Punt was sitting on her couch, all right? Coffee table in front of her. Crack cocaine on the left side of it, her Bible on the right. She would take a hit of crack, get you high for about 15 minutes. Then she would go and read her Bible. She would go back, she'd take another hit of crack. When she sobered up some, she went back, she read her Bible, but she read it a little bit longer. She went back, got another hit of crack, came back, read her Bible a little. This woman, this woman wanted God so bad, but she was so addicted to crack cocaine and, and, and other things as well. And God had a plan for her. She's been sober now for three years, maybe four, somewhere in there. Man, how did I get so many messed up youth leaders? How do I have so many leaders over middle schoolers and high school that have been through all of this? But you know what? They're sharing their stories. 
Because you know what? In that group, as I look at that group, and I've already heard of middle schoolers who have taken um, I, it, it, one of the, a really hard drug. It, it's not like they were smoking pot. This is like next level stuff. They were doing this in middle school. All right? I see kids that could become the crack cocaine there, and hopefully the Bible over here. So I like these people sharing their stories. We're called. This is what we're called to do. One, one, I firmly believe you're called to be healed. That you are called to be healed from what it is that, man, you are going through. And then once you start to get this figured out, help people, relate to people. I was at Ocean City, Maryland here about a month or so ago. And um, a couple of my girls were in their room talking. And... Um, they were talking about what they go through and stuff like that. And I don't know if they had mentioned cutting or not, but one of my leaders there, um, Becky's probably, she's about my age. And the girl says to her, she says, yeah, you wouldn't understand. Becky says, let me show you my arm. I got adults that can relate to my kids and where they are. Because you know what? If there's one thing that I can't do, it's relate to these kids when it comes to these kinds of problems. But God has given me some leaders that are amazing and love these kids and have been there, done it, and been through it. And they're showing these kids that there is a future worth having. God had a plan for Elijah. Go back. And I want you to anoint people and put them in places of power and position. I don't know how long it was from the time he left that cave until he got taken away and Elisha then took over. I don't think it was that long. He got his wish. God took him. I wonder if he was ready for it. I wonder if he's kind of like, no, 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 no. This is getting cool again. This stuff. But God had a plan. And he moved it on from there. Let me pray for you. God, thank you. Thank you for these young people that come out here. They don't need to be here. Their mom and dad doesn't tell them, you're going. They come here because they want to be here. And I pray that they will just be blessed week in and week out every week. And I pray that those who are dealing will find healing. God, that as they're going through this stuff, they'll, they'll figure out that if, if I can, if they can figure out just how much you love them and how much value and worth you have in them and, and what it is you really did for them, man, so many of the problems I believe will go away. And then God, prepare them. Prepare them to help others that they can give healing. God, thank you. Thank you for the forge. Amen. Thank you all.